I trust that everyone knows that when um, it's called the Dhamma talk, that Dhamma is the Pali word and Dharma is the Sanskrit word. And when I recited the refuges this morning, I mentioned some of the characteristics of the Dharma. The Dharma being the teachings of the Buddha as well as the lifestyle that he emulated for us. The Dhamma is well-proclaimed, visible, here and now, timeless, directly experienced by the wise. Today in our practices, we've been focusing on developing mindfulness in relationship to the four foundations of mindfulness. Awareness of the body and our experience of it. Awareness of the mind. Awareness of feelings. The fourth foundation is awareness of mental states, mind states. And we didn't actually do a practice related to that specific part of the four foundations today. But I want to take our attention now to use the openness, whatever concentration, whatever awareness you've gleaned from your practice today, and put it on a higher teaching. So it's, it's, it's enough to do a day-long retreat just to settle the body and mind to interrupt our usual crazy lives that we have running here and there. That's, that's fine. But let's also take that open mind, open field to understand another part of the teachings for liberation. So my um, talk today is on mindfulness and the three characteristics. And I'll tell you what those are in a moment if you're not familiar with them. So, as I've been reading today with the Satipatthana Sutta, Buddha taught these four foundations of mindfulness. Mindfulness of the body, feelings, mind, and the mental objects. What is mindfulness? Mindfulness is presence with attention. We use it as the foundation for all of our practices and for developing our minds and body toward awakening. We need to have mindfulness of what is transpiring in our experience and our responses to experience. 
before any transformation or correction of our conditioned mental habits can occur. So in this last sitting period when I suggested that you notice what occurred in your experience and what your response was, that's what this is talking about. We have to be able to see both. In this talk I want to point out how mindfulness helps us gain knowledge, helps us understand and to learn from the three characteristics of existence, namely impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and not-self. And how this deeper understanding of the characteristics can help to end our suffering, lead us to awakening. Knowing the three characteristics directly is what insight practice is. If you have heard of Vipassana, that's insight practice. So what do we have insight into? It's into these three characteristics. So I'm going to talk about each one, um, particularly as I've um, explored them for myself. So the first one, impermanence. It's known as anicca. It's relatively easy for most people to know and accept how impermanence shows up through our experience of thoughts, sensations, tastes, sounds, smells, because we can readily observe and feel how they are there and then they change. So body sensations come and go, sounds, all the sounds we've um, had an opportunity to um, pay attention to today. Every moment is changing, impermanence. We have to take this knowing to a whole other level and realize and accept that absolutely nothing can be held onto as permanent, as secure and ongoing, as ultimately there for me when I want it or need it, especially in the way that I want and need it. So this nothing is permanent really means nothing. No emotion is permanent, no belief, no thought, no point of view, no self. Some of the descriptors that are used for impermanence are fickle, perishable, unenduring, coreless, disintegrating of a changing nature and finite. So you can think of something that you've had or enjoyed in the past, maybe even today, a particular taste of the food or some moment of enjoyment on your walk, 
it doesn't retain that form, that character, that style, or allure that it had in the beginning. How can that direct knowing and accepting of the impermanence of all things help us to be liberated? Well, for one thing, it frees the mind from the struggle, the longing, and the expectation of something to be what it is not, and it never can be. How does mindfulness help us in this effort? One way that I have appreciated mindfulness is when difficult mind states arise, we remind ourselves it's this moment. We can return the mind-body-emotional concoct back into the wholehearted space that this is how this moment is. It will change. And watch the small, subtle way the mind is freed, is liberated. That's an important piece. Know the freedom when it's there. Even if it's initially only for half a breath, the mind and emotional entanglement can let go of believing the thought or emotion has the power to engulf me. It's a momentary thought or belief. Watch it deflate like a popped balloon. You can experience it for yourself. Now, I recognize that some feelings are not so easily released. I have to admit that. That merely means we have to give more time for the unpleasant sensations and feelings to be present and held in our conscious awareness with tenderness. We hold them with care as we would if we had a cut or a boil that isn't quite ready to move past the tender stage of discomfort. This requires patience and trust and sometimes forbearance. During the waiting period, it's important not to inflict further injury on ourselves by creating more stories of having been wronged or why we were so inept in handling something or languishing in our shortcomings. Just more stories and thoughts. Let them pass. So how might we experience impermanence when it's working? When we taste a bite of delicious food, uh, particularly if it's something that you really, really enjoy and it's at its peak, you know, we're coming into summer fruit and there's just, you know when a peach or a melon or an apricot is just right. You bite into it and it's exquisite. 
we reach for the next bite, place it in our mouth. And if we pay close attention, we notice it has already changed in quality from that first bite. We're usually a bit disappointed. The quality of tasting something is impermanent. We could find examples for each sensory experience, pleasing sounds, sights, sensations, smells, trying in vain to patch together as many of the pleasant moments as possible to ensure I have a a really special pleasant day, maybe even an ideal life. This effort is futile and fruitless. For the mind to be at rest, I need to be able to know the moments of pleasant experiences and the brief moments of unpleasant experiences. Both are impermanent. Accept that reality and let the mind and heart be at peace with the knowing of how things are. This does not mean I have to dwell on either longing for the pleasant or anxiously fearing and dreading the next arising of the unpleasant. Life is much more dynamic than that. We don't know what's around the corner. So that brings us to um, something that we all do, and that's having expectations. We build up expectations of life and of others. We expect that others will always be a certain way. Why are we surprised when their behavior or responses are not consistent with how they were on a previous occasion? Even love is impermanent. People die, get sick, their affections change, their moods change, their desires and feelings change, their capacity for giving changes. All of this does not mean I have to give up on life or with others. I just have to adjust where I place my expectations. Let them be a little softer. There's a huge difference between expecting others to fulfill my needs versus expecting that somehow I will meet and deal with whatever comes up in my day and in my life. I find I can actually rest with joy and excitement about the unknown elements of life, letting them unfold as they do naturally. Not pushing, not pulling, just staying aware, alert. Ah, and this moment. What are some of the qualities that we need to be with impermanence? Some of the ones that I have found most helpful are patience, forgiveness, kindness, caring, mindfulness, We have to see the garbage before we can throw it out. Curiosity, inquiry, energy, concentration, forbearance, flexibility, 
we can develop any of these if we have the intention to do so. An appreciation of impermanence requires compassion and faith. So developing any of these qualities contributes to strengthening all wholesome mental states. We deepen the trust in our own capability. So moving to the second characteristic of unsatisfactoriness, uh, dukkha. One morning as I was meditating, uh, this is some months ago, I had a a feeling, um, kind of a knowing for an instant of how a certain small, trivial thing in my world was really unsatisfactory. It, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was probably something like how the odors of whatever it was I had cooked the night before uh, were still lingering in the house. The odor was unpleasant and noticeable as I sat quietly trying to settle my mind for my morning sit. Aha! This was an invitation to explore dissatisfaction, unsatisfactoriness. So I let my mind gently float to other things that cause me even the slightest feeling of dissatisfaction. I was shocked at the realization of how pervasive my dissatisfaction was with small things in my life. My husband not cleaning out the sink after rinsing the dishes. My favorite shirt no longer fitting right gas prices increasing too much, etc., etc. Then I had a realization. Buddha was right. Mental and physical processes do not bring lasting happiness. Seeing this truth so clearly was absolutely liberating for me. No wonder I have felt distressed, angry, disappointed, and miserable when I've expected something or someone to bring me lasting happiness. How could it or they? It's the nature of shirts to shrink, fade, or wear out. Sometimes foods that we cook or how we cook them leave odors that last longer than we like even if we've used a fan. I have no control over the rise and fall of gas prices. So I have a choice whether I'm going to go into a rant about these things when they occur, or am I going to correct my internal outlook? I can bring myself back to this moment and notice I'm still breathing, seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, and touching. I notice that these natural experiences can still occur even with the presence of the worldly events. I find that very interesting.
Sometimes this experience of being with what is without the overlay of good, bad, right, wrong, like, don't like, is called bare attention. You may remember those words in the um, sutta that I read today. If my mindfulness practice is developed enough to enable me to pause, to rest with the reality of how things are, I'm more likely to touch in with equanimity, that kind, receptive understanding of the moment as it is, absent of preferences, prejudice, or criticism of myself or another. Can I be okay with the moments of life being very ordinary, nothing special about any particular activity? It's just what needs to take place now for me to function in the world. Let the mind rest with ease in that moment of recognition. My life does not have to be an ongoing Broadway show or drama. The more complex matters of human relationships are a veritable Pandora's box of dissatisfaction. People do and say things that hurt or fall short of what I need, want, or expect. What's going on? That person met my needs, my expectations before. What happened this time? Disappointment arises. As I allowed myself to be with the presence and prevalence of dissatisfaction in my world, I was able to see some of the mind states that held that feeling in place. My thoughts about a situation turned it from merely some moments of unpleasantness into an exaggerated experience of disappointment, dissatisfaction, and discontent, rather than some moments of unpleasantness. There were thoughts of criticizing clothing manufacturers for making inferior quality clothes, self-criticism of not ventilating the kitchen more when I cooked, anger at the injustice of the petroleum industry and government for letting gas prices escalate so high. On and on, the thoughts go of why others are wrong and I'm right and justified in my views and perspective. I can see the unwholesome blame and feeling of being a righteous victim in this perspective. If that's what I'm feeding my mind, no wonder I suffer. This is how we construct our world. Wherever there is dissatisfaction or discontent, there is desire a craving for things to be different than they are. Mindfulness enables me to see what I'm making of an ordinary event, how I'm turning it into a fixed attitude that leads to a perspective that erodes any effort of cultivating wholesomeness. If I have done my practice diligently, 
I remind myself that it is the nature of all things in the phenomenal world to change, to be unpleasant at times, and to decay. Resistance to that reality causes me to suffer. Recognition of how things are inherently brings me the relief and freedom from disappointment. Ah, this is how it is. A mindful pause may be enough to clear the mind before it heads down a path that leads to more suffering. That pause might even enable me to assess what would be most beneficial right now that I can draw on, such as compassion or loving-kindness for myself and others. The more I recognize how suffering works in my life, the greater understanding I have of how others suffer. So now we come to the third characteristic, anatta, anatta, sometimes it's said, the not-self piece. The last of the three characteristics, the not-self, anatta, this is a hard one for people because it goes to the heart of our identity of a permanent, enduring, essential something that is me. We can begin to understand impermanence and unsatisfactoriness because they're pretty evident in our experience when we look carefully. But we don't really believe these truths apply to us individually. We constantly create ways of talking ourselves into the existence of a me. Look, I have a name, I talk, I think. I feel. Even our language constantly reinforces the identity of I, me, and mine. We have to take the first two characteristics as starting points to go deeply into the insight that each moment of our experience is a strand of life coming into form like a small atom firing. It fires, there's a split second of experience, and then it ends. We are just momentary arising and passing of elements of experience. There is no one fixed, unchanging something that is me. To let go of that belief of a permanent fixed self is the only way out of the suffering of this world. It's just this moment occurring, and then this one, and then this one. Try letting go by being with the flow of life rather than identifying experiences as me that is having the experience. Now there is pain, now sadness, now anger, 
now joy, now peace. The mind of compassion and loving kindness can hold all of it. Mindfulness gives me enough space to recognize what pulls, tugs, drags, or draws me into old perceptions of self and to notice how I identify with my roles, my accomplishments, thoughts, feelings, beliefs. Doing our mindfulness meditation practice is the best skill we can have to understand the three characteristics and to learn the wisdom they have to offer in our journey of liberating the mind from clinging to views that cause confusion and suffering. Your presence at this day-long practice is a tribute to your sincere effort to know true freedom for yourself. I want to just read a brief something from Ayakema's book, Being Nobody, Going Nowhere. The mind that has become concentrated happy and peaceful is a mind that can accept this constantly changing universe and use it for its own benefit. The mind that is not peaceful rejects such reality out of hand and says, but I want to be happy. That's the mind of most people in the world The mind that doesn't need any outer conditions for happiness is the mind that can say, this is the release from all suffering. This is true happiness. Such a mind sees with clarity the absolute reality of what's happening in this universe and it doesn't have to hang on to anything, attached to anything doesn't have to become anything, doesn't have to be anything. It just does what is necessary at each particular moment and then lets go. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.